Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, COVID-19 cases continue to rise, and the Premier is not going to rule out potential lockdowns. And the Prime Minister, as a matter of fact, urging Canadians to remain vigilant with social distancing measures. Dr. Todd Coleman joins us to talk about that. Some school boards in Ontario are pushing online learning due to COVID-19, but there's been such a rush for it, some boards are going to have to delay it. We'll tell you why and what's happening. And the PM and his fellow cabinet ministers on their second day of their retreat expected to be planning our country's post-COVID-19 path. How's that going? Well, we'll find out. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. COVID, once again, uh, is is with us. As a matter of fact, it's coming back strong, maybe not as strong as it was before, but we're not even aware of that yet. Uh, There have been a number of new cases, which is a very troubling statistic. As a matter of fact, over 300 new cases uh, in the last day or so here in the province of Ontario. Uh, Premier Doug Ford is very, very concerned about it and says, look, if, if this doesn't stop and if the numbers keep going up, well, there could be consequences. I, I knew this was going to start creeping up again, and we've been talking about the second wave. We aren't in a full-blown uh, second wave, and we can get our hands around it. We can uh, slow the, the spread. As, as the uh, doctor, uh, I believe it was Dr. Davila, uh, was saying this morning, it's within our grasp if, if we all just follow those protocols. And, and, and when all three docs from different areas are telling me social gatherings are the biggest problem uh folks these have to stop it's you know they they just have to stop well uh it's up to us then basically what it comes down to but what is going on have we just given up on this or have we just figured we've got this thing beat i mean i've heard a number of commentators most of them in the states frankly uh that are talking about COVID in the past tense uh it's it's still with us so are we uh, are we doing what we really need to do to keep this thing under control? So uh, bring Dr. Todd Coleman into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Coleman, of course, is a PhD assistant professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Wilfrid Laurier University. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Well, we, you, I think you talked to us a couple of weeks ago about COVID fatigue, about how you know we 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 start to wane a little bit with our diligence when it comes to this because we're getting a little tired of of not socializing, etc. But uh, this is this is pretty dramatic here. That the rise that we've seen in the number of new cases is is beyond troubling. Yeah, the the rise that we've seen uh, so with the case numbers that we saw yesterday over three hundred is is sort of more reminiscent of the numbers that we saw in early June and late May. Um, which was a period of time that we were mostly locked down at that point. So uh, they are very troubling. And I think that the social fatigue is just one small piece of, of what's going on here. What else do you see as, as happening here? What are the, the contributing factors? I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding of, of how you prevent this. So uh, the messaging has been relatively consistent, but not focusing all at the same time on three things. So the three main things I'm talking about are mask wearing, uh, social distancing, and uh, uh, hand washing and sanitization. Um, I think a lot of people are are making these compensation uh, one or the other. So I'll wear a mask. That means I can go out in public and do whatever I want. It's not one or the other. It's still all three. And it, it needs to remain like that until we, we have lower numbers. 
I've seen that. Not that I've been out a whole lot, but I've certainly heard anecdotally from others that have been out doing shopping and things of that nature. Uh, and, and it seems to be the case. And uh, I, I'm trying to exactly figure when this change of opinion started to happen. And it may well have been when, as you've mentioned, uh, Doctor, when the mandatory masks were put in place. So many communities, of course, are, have a mandatory bylaw now that says, and that's good. I see compliance a lot of the time for that. But I'm getting the sense a lot of people say, well, I got a mask on right now, so I don't need to do the other stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right. And uh, we've seen that with crowds uh, gathering in a number of different places. Uh, bars, house parties, all of that thing, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, I think people are making uh, decisions about what they can and can't do and not really paying attention to the fact that it's, it's not one or the other. It's it's almost as if we've got this false sense of security now. And, and uh, I, you know, like I say, I, I, I'm flummoxed as to why people are feeling that way because there's been no indication from any of the uh, the experts from dr tam uh, you know dr williams here in the in the province uh, to right on down uh that we've beaten this thing i mean there is we still don't have a vaccine on this and the numbers are still starting to climb right now but I, i'm getting a sense from some of the people because i've watched some of the on-street interviews or on-campus interviews i guess as some of the students have returned to post-secondary uh, facilities around the province a lot of them, doctors, seem to think, yeah, this is no big deal. All this hype that they talked about, you know, even if I get it, I'm probably going to be okay anyway. That seems to be an attitude, and I don't know where they get that from, but they certainly seem to be carrying it around. There is an attitude, and I think the, the, what, you're, what you're seeing here is, yes, the manifestations of COVID-19 look very different for younger age groups, but the fact is, is the younger age groups don't, only socialize, live with, interact with people in that same age group. They're interacting with young people. They're interacting with older people. And older people are more susceptible to this. And I think there's not enough emphasis on the long-term effects of this uh, and the manifestations that we see. Uh, Some people, even those in their 20s and their 30s, manifest severe forms of this uh, infection. And they're not quick and out of the woods in a couple of weeks, like a simple cold or a flu. Uh, there's really long lingering uh, side effects with some of these people, such as uh, having difficulty walking up a flight of stairs months after having uh, been infected. That's an interesting uh, angle to this that I think you're right. I think a lot of people have either not paid attention to or forgotten about if they had and, and as we've talked about, I mean, we, we've learned more about this virus almost every day. We're, we're smarter about it than we were in, in May and June. We get that. Right. But we're still trying to, I, I guess, uh, get a handle on exactly what the long-term effects are. And, and, and your point's well taken, though, Doctor. There are long-term effects. This is not just like, boy, that was like having a bad flu. Boy, it was rough, but I'm over it now. I, I, you don't know that you're over it now. We've heard some stories, and I know there's ongoing research about this, uh, that it has a long-term impact on lung capacity, and you just mentioned about you know even something as simple as climbing stairs. Uh, others are now suggesting that it might actually have uh, some long-term effects on, on on our circulatory system as well. And and, and again, like I say that it's not confirmed, but it's it's out there, and there seems to be some indications. So yeah. if you if you think you're going to catch this thing and everything is going to be okay in ten days, you're really playing with fire, aren't you? Yeah, it, that's exactly right. There, the the research uh, is continuing to come out uh, and showing that it's resulting uh, COVID infection 
in some people in more severe forms re- results in excessive uh, clots and microclots in the body, which means that it's not just a lung infection. It's a, a, an infection of the circulatory system. We're seeing manifestations of COVID in the brain. We're seeing, and you've probably heard of these, uh, amputations happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not a, a cut and dry lung infection. Uh, well, we've seen some of the graphic pictures on that, and I'm, I, you know, not trying to scare people or fear monger, but I mean, those, that's the reality. I mean, we've seen some of the things with people in hospitals and other places, and you know, they have black hands or black feet. Well, that means that there's no blood circulating, uh, and that's a result of of the COVID, the, the the virus that they've got, and that doesn't happen to everybody. But you know, you don't know whether or not it's going to happen to you in a situation like that, and. Uh, again, you know, when you start mentioning blood clots, doctor, I mean, that, that runs into a whole series of other problems, doesn't it? I mean, that can lead to heart attacks, it can lead to strokes, it can lead to any number of other, and, and including, uh, as you say, you know, gangrenous uh, appendages. So, uh, it, again, we, we need to understand the severity of this and understand that, that experts like yourself and others have been talking to us about these protocols. Uh, the only reason that we didn't see them to the same extent as other parts, because for the longest time we were complying. And now we just seem to have said, yeah, well, that, that battle's over. That's right. So for a long period of time, our social interactions were pretty minimal uh, with each other. And we've been slowly ramping up um, uh, over the course of the summer, with the, especially in Ontario, with the phased reopening, uh, same, similar to other provinces. And we're, we're adding more interactions with each other. It's an easy virus to catch. So the more interactions happening, the more probability that transmission can occur. And we're seeing that. And unfortunately, right at the moment, we're adding to that with uh, university students coming together and uh, our schools going back, our elementary and high schools. Well, and because I think a lot of people simply said, well, yeah, that, that spike that we saw a little while ago, that was because people were crowding into restaurants and bars. Uh, and there might have been a little bit of that going on, but uh, you're right. The evidence that we're hearing now from the uh, medical offices of health across the province is, it's, it's, as you said, it's the private gatherings that seem to be the culprit right now, the house parties, the, you know, the whatever it is, birthday parties. You know, like I know it only says we're supposed to have eight or nine people in our bubble, but, you know, let's have 30 or 40 people in here because, you know, we missed the last birthday because of COVID. Uh, we're trying to rationalize it, but we're really putting ourselves in harm's way if we do that. Yeah, you're just adding uh, any, the more people you interact with, the more people that you're in a confined space with, sharing, uh, breathing air with, uh, and houses aren't made for large numbers of people with circulating air uh, uh, in and out. Uh, it just it just means that you're sitting there with 30, 40, 50 other people and breathing in the same air, meaning that the likelihood if one of those people has uh, coronavirus, uh, the likelihood is it's going to infect the people that are around them. Well, and for, you know, the, those that are going to say, well, you know, I, I didn't see anybody that was sick. Nobody seemed to have a fever or anything. Uh, they, first of all, they could be asymptomatic. It could be, they could be in that incubation period where they, they don't see it, show any signs anyway. You just don't know. That's right. Exactly. So there is a, a period of, of, uh, uh, viral shedding that can happen before severe symptoms are seen. They may think uh, they're just minor allergy symptoms right up front uh, and those asymptomatic individuals, which we know make up a fairly large portion, uh, uh, large enough that it contributes to transmission. It could be uh, one of those individuals in one of those really large uh, public settings. 
Doctor, if you were uh, at this point talking to the Premier about this and, 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 and counseling him about where to move forward, I know he is talking to, to Dr. Williams, the Ontario Medical Officer of Health, a number of other people about this. Uh, he did talk yesterday about, you know, maybe moving back into some lockdowns, not province-wide, but we already know that the hotspots this past weekend, of course, were around Mississauga, Toronto, and, and Ottawa, essentially. Some others, too, but those were the big ones. Uh, would you would you suggest that he move forward with something like that? In other words, under the premise of nipping this in the bud before it gets out of control? I think it's probably a good idea to, to suggest or even enforce limiting or rolling back into back into different phases. Um, the problem is, is it's very difficult to control uh, private gatherings, uh, especially in houses. Uh, and I think it, it's just more incumbent on the, the public health officials there to ensure uh, uh, messaging is very consistent. Uh, testing is happening uh, at a really increased rate than what we're seeing now. Uh, and, and all of those extra um, three messages, so the, the mask wearing, uh, social distancing, and uh, hand washing are, are emphasized altogether as equally important. Well, especially uh, to your point about that, I understand what, where the Premier is going on this, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's concerned about it because, as we know, not all politicians seem to be concerned about COVID. But uh, So we've got that going for us, and he is listening to the experts. Uh, but I'm getting the sense, though, that it's it's not the bars and the restaurants and the and the stores that are causing the problem here. Although I do see some lax people. I mean, we used to steadfastly keep up that two-meter distance between people, you know, and there were marks on the floor and everything else. Uh, I was in the grocery store the other day, and not so much. I guess people are getting a little bit lax about that, figuring out, you know, we're good to go. I've got a mask on, uh, which is not the, the, the attitude we should have. But it, those private gatherings and, a, and a, a, an economic lockdown, such as you might be considering at this stage, may not even address the problem as we see it today. That's right. So there might be uh, – you, you can – limit people getting into formal uh, uh, commerce areas as much as you want. Um, but those private gatherings where uh, if, if case numbers are going up means that the probability of, of contact happening in those locations are much higher, which is, is much more difficult to, to control than some of the more formal areas uh, of uh, our population. Uh, we love to categorize everything in our society. Uh, is this, in fact, uh, the beginning of phase two, or are we still lingering uh, with the the initial rush? Uh, it, it's hard to say right now. I think usually what you want is uh, about a week, a week or two weeks of data to give you uh, a better sense of the trajectory that you're on. Uh, right now, it doesn't look very positive because we've climbed from under 100 cases to over 300 uh, in the province, and that doesn't look very good uh, in terms of a trajectory. But I think an, another week or so, uh, the next few days will be really telling. Well, uh, the numbers don't lie in situations <laughs> like this, and uh, I know that you and others are watching very, very closely to see how this is going to manifest itself. Uh, always uh, gratifying and, and heartening to get your uh, perspective on this, uh, Doctor. Thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you. Thanks again. Take care. Dr. Todd Coleman, of course, uh, uh, professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Wilfrid Laurier University. And and I, I get that, that some people just have this, you know, it's never going to happen to me attitude. And, you know, they're, they're like that with drinking and driving and, you know, talking on their cell phones while they're driving and all that sort of stuff that, you know, you're impregnable and it's, it's somebody else that's always going to get caught or somebody else that's going to pay the price for it. Uh, you know, and somebody else is thinking that about you. So we, we've got to 
step up our game. That's that's the message I think that the premier and that the, the medical experts are saying right now. The social distancing, the hand washing, and uh, and of course the face masks uh, have to be have to be adhered to. Uh, I, I don't know. We have short memories sometimes. Don't you remember what we went through? Don't you remember the economic hardship when we had to shut things down and, and self-isolate? And I, we're not out of the woods yet, but we're starting to move. I mean, we're into phase three of a, of a recovery plan. I'd hate to have to go back to phase one again because we weren't paying, playing by the rules. So it's up to us, really, to see what's going to happen in the next couple of steps. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've had great discussions about boards of education trying to set up plans uh, for how to deal with classrooms now that they're all starting to head back in. Uh, post-secondary educations are very challenged as well, and uh, some of them are having to make some pretty tough decisions, uh, including McMaster University in Hamilton. Uh, they have decided now and announced that they are moving all of their classes to online, including the winter term, uh, which will be coming up in a couple of months' time. Uh, and uh, I want to get some lowdown low on that. Susan Tai is the provost with uh, McMaster University, uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Susan, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you, Bill. Happy to come on and uh, share what's happening at McMaster. Well, you guys are usually ahead of the curve in anticipation of all of these things, and, and I know that we had some discussions uh, of what was going on last spring. Uh, now that we're into the fall session right now, uh, talk to us a little bit about online learning and talk to us about the decision to, to extend this. And I'm hearing, by the way, Susan, that, that a lot of other universities are following this same lead and just saying, let's err on the side of caution. Absolutely. Yeah, Bill, it's a really good question and, and something that we really thought about carefully. Um, I was leading a, a sort of a, a group, a planning group of senior academic leaders and also administrators and really working closely with public health. And at the end of the day, it seemed really clear to us that this was an important decision for us to make. Um, you know, in, in light of online learning, we want to give our faculty as much time as possible that they can prepare high quality, uh, teaching materials. And we also wanted to provide some stability to our students. So that was really key. But, but really, it, it was a public health, um, decision that we made. Did the stories that we heard from some of the campuses south of the border, some of them shut down altogether. I mean, some students got there on a, on a Tuesday and were told by Friday, go home. Forget it. This is not working out at all. Did, did that influence the decision at all? Was that part of the conversation, Susan? No, it really wasn't. I mean, we were, you know, we have taken a, uh, we've tried to be very proactive in our approach. And as you mentioned earlier, Bill, we came out early um, to say what our decision was. We've worked really closely with Hamilton Public Health. And, and really what we're trying to do is to provide as much stability as we can. Um, the other thing I wanted to highlight is we are, we are also introducing a virtual learning task force. And I want to enforce that it's, it's being co-chaired by the Dean of Engineering and the Dean of Social Sciences. And, and really, again, that shows how important it is for us to ensure that we have, we're delivering on that high quality uh, teaching. And, and really the point is what we're doing is carefully looking at what's happening right now in the fall term 
And whatever lessons learned we can glean, uh, we're going to apply those to the winter term as well. Your point, by the way, about giving students advance notice on this, I think, is, is well taken, though, Susan, because you're right. I mean, uh, especially students who are coming from out of town, I mean, you know, if they're going to have to come back in for the second term, if they were going to, they're not going to. Uh, that's the headline here, folks. This semester is going to be online. But if they were going to have to, they have to make plans for accommodation and a number of other things like that, too. So giving them this notice, I gives, that, that would assuage some of their angst, I would think. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we really did time it so that students that are registered currently in the fall term, uh, that they knew that we were going to be online for the winter term. And so that um, if they had to make any decisions about adding or dropping courses, um, we would give them this information because, you know, some students we heard were thinking about, well, if this course is going to be offered in person next term, maybe I'll drop this course now and take it later. But, you know, the fact of the matter is we, we didn't want to play those games. We wanted to be really clear with both our faculty and staff and say, this is what our plan is. And of course, as new information comes forward, we'll share that. But, um, you know, there was a lot of positive feedback that I received yesterday because of that, because now people can plan and know what's coming in the next term. I got to ask you, maybe this is just going to be based on anecdotal information you have, but I mean, I've had over the last little while some conversations with some some students, uh, university students, uh, and actually a couple of profs uh, about the, the, the virtual learning that that you instituted, and, uh, and and obviously because of the circumstance back last spring, you had to put this thing together. By and large, I'm hearing very positive stuff about it. I mean, to, almost to a person, Susan, everybody said, look, my preference would be, you know, face-to-face, you know, in the classroom or, or in the study hall, whatever the case might be. But given our circumstances, uh, a lot of them seem to be, uh, I think, moving into this pretty well and, and making that accommodation. Well, the one advantage is it does provide flexibility for uh, faculty and students, um, you know, to do the learning when it suits them best. Um, I think the other thing I'd really like to reinforce that with the McPherson Institute, we really do have world-class teaching uh, facilities and teaching people that really study the scholarship around teaching. And so what we've really seen is a huge uptake in our faculty members participating in panel sessions. You know, how do I use these tools? How can I make it more interesting to the students? Um, you know, what kinds of things can I do differently? And so there's no question it's a learning curve, but I think it's also, I think, if if you're in the right mindset, it allows you to be innovative in how we deliver curriculum. And uh, we see that as a huge advantage. There's no question it's a big change for everyone. But, uh, you know, we're really, we're really quite enthused by um, some of the um, things that we're seeing that are coming out from our professors. You remind me of what my profs used to tell me, you get out of it what you put into it, uh, which is Absolutely. one of the lessons I think you have to learn. <laughs> Uh, and, and not a bad life lesson either, but uh, they are seeming to make that accommodation and, and, and enjoying it. And it's—I don't know that it's going to be the new normal, but I mean, it's—it's it's amazing how uh, how your university and others have had to pivot very quickly, and I think done it quite effectively. Yeah, it's—it's it's no question. It's taken a lot of after the shock kind of wore off. I think it, it's uh, taken a lot to kind of pivot, but you know what? We're there, and and I can say on behalf of, um, you know, the whole McMaster community, you know, there's been a lot of hard work put into it, but we're really proud of the fact that we've been able to deliver, and, you know, it's a learning curve, but, uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about um, the ability to offer the type of curriculum that we are online.
Well, it's uh, it's fascinating to see what's happening, and like you say, the people, the way that people have adjusted to this, and it's it's a rough time for almost everybody. Uh, I I do want to remind people just because with the semester is going to be online, and so will the, the next semester as well. Uh, the Mac campus is not totally desolate. I mean, there are still people there, still people working, but obviously following all the protocols that you're supposed to follow in situations like this. Absolutely, and and that's been quite comprehensive. And again, uh, we're really grateful for having the close collaboration with Hamilton Public Health because certainly they've really worked with us and helped us to facilitate a safe campus under the circumstances. Susan, uh, we'll stay in touch as this rolls out over the next little while. A very innovative step. I would expect nothing else from a pastor. That's your reputation uh, to move forward on this and uh, give the best possible learning experience for your students. Uh, let's, uh, Let's stay in touch and see what happens over the next little while. Absolutely. Thanks so much and have a great day. You too. Take care, Susan. Susan Ty, who's the provost at McMaster University. So that's the post-secondary, and we've talked with Ron McCurley at Mohawk College uh, in similar veins, and, and of course Mohawk and, and other uh, educations, post-secondary educations, are all looking at this right now. And a lot of the people I've talked to uh, right across the country, uh, some of our other core stations, uh, are suggesting that the, the universities and colleges are doing the same sort of thing, that err on the side of caution, and let's, uh, let's, let's talk about doing this right to the springtime, and then reassess the situation. Uh, it is causing some problems, though, with, uh, with the, the boards of education. That's the elementary and secondary school teachers. Uh, because of the uptake that they had in, in virtual learning and online learning, uh, there's been such a, 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 a rush toward that right now that uh, some boards have actually had to delay uh, going ahead uh, with uh, some of the online learning uh, because there's some accommodations that they have to make. Uh, to that end, I want to bring uh, Peter Sorvin into the conversation. Peter, of course, is the Associate Director for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could jump in with us today. Good morning, Bill. Are you surprised by the uptake in the virtual learning, Peter? Uh, we're not really, Bill. Uh, when we did a survey uh, at the end of June uh, of our families, uh, we uh, the respondents uh, were in and around uh, 20%, um, and uh, that's pretty much where we're at right now. We uh, Our initial pre-registration process that took place over the summer closed at the end of August at 6,300 uh, students enrolled in elementary Um as of uh, as of yesterday, we were up to 8,300. Uh, that actually brings us closer to what the survey would have told us at the end of June. Uh, so uh, that's what we're planning for, and uh, we'll be ready to receive uh, the majority of students starting tomorrow as planned and the remainder uh, at the end of the week. So you're doing a lot better than some of the other boards we've heard from across the province then, but which probably doesn't surprise me because I know when you and I talked when you were developing uh, the plan and putting the finishing touches on it, this is quite a few weeks ago now, uh, you, you pretty much built this into the plan, didn't you, that, that there could be an uptake, and you, you've already made that accommodation. We certainly did. Uh, right, uh, right from the beginning, and uh, as you'll recall when we spoke uh, some time ago, our teams uh, have been working at this since the beginning of May. And uh, so anticipating uh, that uh, we would have a, a fairly large uptake uh, in terms of the remote learning uh, is certainly planned in. That's not to say that it hasn't been a lot of work in the past uh, week and a half or so as more and more uh, students enroll for the virtual learning. But uh, through, you know, the uh, strategic hiring that we've done, we have the teachers uh, and uh, the classes are being set up and we're ready to go later this week. 
Well, and I know we talked uh, back last spring uh, with some of the teachers that were involved in this, and they had expressed some concerns about that because there was a comfort level that, uh, that they were trying to attain. Some did, some didn't. But, but now that they've had this under their belts for a few months, uh, and now that, of course, you've instituted specific programs uh, to, to try to uh, orient people towards this, I'm, I'm getting a sense that there's a much more positive uh, response to this and a much more positive attitude towards online. Well, I certainly think that uh, all of this takes a lot of time. And so while they, uh, all of our educators were thrust into uh, teaching online uh, during the, uh, the closure period back in the spring, uh, over the course of the summer uh, and into this fall, uh, we have focused almost exclusively on developing professional learning to support our educators, uh, regardless of where they are in terms of their uh, comfort level. Some uh, still... Uh, learning to use the tools, uh, others far more familiar, and uh, we, we're certainly tailoring our professional learning towards that. But without question, there's there's still a, a lot of uh, a lot of angst uh, amongst uh, people in, in terms of jumping into this uh, new environment. It's all going to take some time, and, and we just ask for everybody to have some patience. Uh, how do you track? That, that, that aspect of it, Peter. I mean, you know, the students' uh, comfort level, the teachers' comfort level, it's, uh, obviously uh, you want to be cognizant of both and, 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 you know, pivot accordingly if, in fact, you see that some changes have to be made. Are, are you doing that on a regular basis? I know it's early days uh, yet. It, it is, but it's a, it's a great question, and it's uh, something that uh, we do closely monitor. We look at uh, how many uh, of our educators are taking the uh, professional learning options that we have available, which ones are being subscribed to more than others. Um, we are constantly checking in with our school principals and vice principals so that uh, they who are closest to uh, the educators and the students can, you know, provide us at the system level with that key information around where might there be some gaps still, where might there be some uh, concerns, and where are they seeing uh, other areas where uh, it's just flourishing. Uh, as you mentioned to us back uh, in the summertime when we were talking, uh, there there is no playbook for this. I mean, you're pretty much writing it as you're going along here and 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 making adjustments uh, with as, as as you're getting more feedback and input from uh, the people that are participating in this. But it sounds like the Hamilton Board obviously has 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 made that accommodation already, uh, and so far so good as far as that's concerned. And the fact that you guys are right on schedule, I think, is great news for the students and uh, and parents who are concerned about this. Uh, continued good luck with this. I, I know that you're going to monitor this on a pretty constant basis, Peter, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the days and weeks ahead, but I do thank you for jumping in today and uh, giving us an update on what's happening. Thanks, Bill. Always a pleasure. Have a great Take day. care. Peter Sarvan, of course, from the Hamilton District uh, Board of Education. So they are, they're on track. I mean, other boards we've heard about in the GTA and, and, and other jurisdictions across the province are said they're going to have to delay this, but uh, as Peter said, they've made that accommodation for some time now, and they, they seem to be okay. So that's good news. We'll certainly see how that goes. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Prime Minister and his cabinet uh, continue with their uh, sessions. Uh, this is their retreat, their cabinet retreat. Uh, in anticipation of the uh, next session of Parliament, which, of course, is getting underway next week, there'll be a speech from the throne, which is essentially written by the government, although it'll be the uh, the Governor-General that reads it, of course. That's the protocol. Uh, and uh, then, of course, a, a session with a minority parliament, and uh, it should be a rather raucous one, too, because of uh, the opposition parties wanting to get their teeth into the we situation and continuing with that investigation. 
which is going to happen in some way, shape, or form. We'll talk about that in just a second, because obviously in a, in a minority government like this, on all those committees, uh, the majority of the committees are usually made up by opposition members. So we'll find out about that. But more importantly, there's a few other things that are happening here, uh, like COVID-19. And I know yesterday in his, uh, his comments, the Prime Minister talked about, uh, well, what we just mentioned in the first hour of the program, that uh, we seem to be uh, losing our focus about the things that we should be doing uh, as, a, as a nation and as a community, uh, about hanging in there and, and, and fighting the, the COVID-19 virus with the things that we can do, the masks, the hand washing, and all that sort of stuff. Because uh, the, the national numbers are just as alarming as the ones in Ontario. So what's the strategy going forward? What's the economic strategy going forward to try to get this economy back? Uh, and what's the, well, the public health strategy, which the government has to play a large role in? This is all with this big black cloud that's hanging over the, the, the government's head right now where the number of, of senior officials in, in the Canadian banks are saying, look at this debt thing, uh, we're getting pretty worried about this. So what are you going to do about it, government? So I'm sure that's on the agenda as well. But how effective are these sessions, and, and what can we expect coming up the other end? I want to bring Richard Brennan into the conversation. Richard, of course, is a retired journalist uh, with the Toronto Star, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many years. Uh, Badger, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could jump in today. Hey, Bill. What are these things really like once they get behind closed doors? I mean, we've seen the pressers that they have, and they get up in front of the microphone, and they're going to talk about this, that, and the other thing. But it, it, when when all is said and done, uh, is more said than is done? Well, I mean, if we if we hear... If they're in behind closed doors talking about pharmacare and child care and that, well, haven't we heard this all before? Sure. Uh, so I don't, it, it, you know, there, there's kind of breathless reviews of this being almost like it's new. Well, it isn't new. And and I'd like to know where the, you know, the, the post-COVID-19 uh, you know, or post-pandemic uh, plan is, and I'm sure the bankers would love to know this, but I think we're what people out there, your listeners, and it, they wonder what's going to be done now. Like, are we ready for the second wave? So this is this is a very important meeting. But how much is on their plate, and how much are they going to get at? Is that is the biggest question of all? Well, and what's a little disconcerting as I've watched this over the last, it's only been a couple of days, but I mean the lead up to it over the, a few days late last week as well, is the trial balloons that they float. I mean, and we had a discussion about this on the program yesterday, but, uh, uh, a basic income uh, program. You know, we had a pilot project about that in Ontario a couple of years ago that the Ford government killed. Uh, and there's some talk over last week, I'm sure you saw this too, that, uh, the, the government's maybe, maybe talking about instituting something like that on a national level. Uh, but that was yesterday's news. I haven't heard much about it. The points you just brought up uh, seem to be the flavors of the day today. They're starting to talk about a national daycare program, uh, maybe some EI reform, things of that nature. It, it, they seem to, to, you know, just vary from, from, you know, bounce. It's like a pinball from this one to this one to this one. And we don't know exactly what's going to be in there and what's not going to be in there. Well, the, the focus, you know, if you believe all the trial balloons, as you, as you noted, that, is the focus on getting reelected, or is the focus on getting ready for a second wave or the uh, post-pandemic? Uh, That—that's the question here. I, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what, what is it like. What, what? Where's your? Where's your head at? What do you want to do? Do you want to really address all these issues in the hopes that come the next election, be it this fall, which I doubt, or next spring, that 
you know, that you'll be elected because of all these promises you made, or are we addressing the most serious issues, and that's, you know, COVID-19. That's what I, I mean, I'd love to be a, a bug on the wall, I'll tell you, to find out where that fits in. And that's where, that's where people are interested. Sure, the bankers are, as you said, are concerned about the debt, no question about that, they have a right to. But the ordinary folks out there are worried right now about what's the plan to drive down those numbers and what's the plan to, uh, you know, deal with with a, a second wave is, is the best we can. Well, there's a, a phrase that uh, the Joe Biden keeps uh, harping on down in the states that I think makes all kinds of sense, and and I think a lot of Americans are starting to tune into it. Uh, and and you just I think made the same point, Richard. Uh, we're not going to solve the economy till we solve the virus, because uh, yeah. you know they, the the one is so dramatically impacted by the other. And and you know you heard the premier yesterday talking about perhaps even you know instituting another s- series of shutdowns in some parts of the province because the numbers are climbing up. Well, that, that's a direct impact on the economy, certainly is. And, uh, and what, what are we doing about that? Now, I know, I know that the, you know, the Prime Minister reminded us again yesterday, and I, and I think rightly so, that we, we've got to get back to what we were doing about social distancing and masks and, and hand washing and, and, and avoiding large gatherings and things of that nature. We're not doing a very good job of that. I get that. But they also have to come up with, a, I think, a government strategy about how they're going to do this. You know, is there going to be more testing? Is there what, What's going to happen going forward here uh, to try to help us along like this? Because uh, we're, we're really kind of swimming upstream as long as we're trying to do this in parallel paths. I, I understand that uh, any government has to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. But, uh, you know, the, the medical aspect of this, the public health aspect of this, uh, is something we're not hearing a whole lot about that these days anyway. Well, we've tried to scare the hell out of people, and that's worked to a certain extent, but that's, that's kind of uh, fading, if you will. I see there's an anti-mask pro, uh, yeah. thing in, in Oakville today. <laughs> Shake my head, but anyway, go ahead, folks. Uh, so we're, people are just wanting to know where, you know, what is the plan? I mean, is, you know... If I, if I was the government, I'd be running um, quotes from people who've had COVID every day in the newspaper and telling them, this isn't a joke, folks. This isn't a hoax. This is real, because I lived through it. I mean, it, I don't know how what more a government can do to get through the message to people that this is a serious issue. And I think that's part of what the federal government's wrestling with. You know, okay, we've, we've tried all these things. And it, it seems to be falling in some, in some parts in deaf ears. What can we do? And hopefully, what can we do to get through this next wave, if, if there is such a wave, and I suspect there will be. And looking further into the future, how we can, how we can wrestle some of this uh, debt down. So it's it's a it's a huge deal. I mean, the meetings. The meetings, who knows, you know, I mean, we have an inkling of what goes on inside, and they, they, they love to drop the little hints here and there. But this is the big issue, and I think all parties should be should be rowing in the same direction, and I know I'm asking a lot here, but rowing in the same direction to get through this. I, I know the conservatives are going to want to emphasize, uh, you know, the whole we uh, scandal, yeah, I, I can understand that, but is that going to be put us any further ahead in trying to wrestle what we have right now, and that's COVID nineteen to the ground? 
Well, the answer, the short answer is no. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a that's a, a politics uh, thing, and that's that's got nothing to do with public health. It's got nothing to do with the economy. Uh, if they want to embarrass the government, that's fine. But I'd be very disappointed in Mr. O'Toole and the the rest of the Conservative Caucus if they make that the the the, the priority to just you know to try to get to get to the bottom, as they say. I want to see some concrete answers and some concrete ideas. Uh, to that point, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, to, to ask these guys to work collaboratively is a huge undertaking, and I'm not even sure if it's possible given the the mindset that a lot of these guys have. But I was kind of troubled by the fact that, like a week and a half or so ago, uh, the prime minister said he was going to consult before they did the throne speech, and uh, I guess he has talked to not just his cabinet, but even some of his MPs. I've heard from some of them that said, "Yeah, we not necessarily talked to the prime minister himself, but to, to ministers about what they'd like to see in this." But uh, we're seeing today. Uh, reported in a number of the national media outlets, uh, he hasn't had any consultation at all with, his, with the opposition parties. Uh, this is a minority government. I'm not suggesting that you open the books and say, okay, what do you guys want, and we'll throw it in there. But, you know, you'd like to think that there'd be some conversation in a hallway somewhere uh, where they could say, okay, how can we work collaboratively? What, what are your priorities? What are ours? And is there any common ground here? Well, that's it, Bill. Yeah. Should they be doing it? Yes, absolutely, they should be doing it. But you and I know they're not going to do it. So we'll we'll have a government will come down with a, with you know an edict of, so to speak, on what they what they want to do. A throne speech will will outline everything that they'd like to do in this next session. And uh, I would hope, and, and some people I would say pray, that how they're going to deal with COVID nineteen you know, financially or otherwise, should be a top of the agenda, and all these other things should should follow that by a distance. Well, as a for instance, I mean, you mentioned the, one of the trial balloons that they were talking about today uh, was, was a national daycare program. And again, not a new idea, something that's been kicked around for the longest time. And and I could I could make the argument I could see the argument they're going to make on this that you know getting people back to work uh, is essential to, to getting the economy stronger again and and daycare has got to be a major concern so maybe there you know there, there's an argument to be made that this is as good a time as any maybe the best time so far to institute a program like that but if the if the virus is still rampant and and as you say the numbers are not looking good even this week uh, they're not going back to work. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, some of those businesses might get shut down. We don't know what's going to happen right now. It, it, you're right. No matter where we start this conversation, no matter what, what program they're thinking of instituting, it all comes back to COVID. Yeah, it does. I mean, as much as we'd like to address all these things, and they're all important issues, don't get me wrong. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just that's the roadblock, and that's what they've got to deal with now. And these... And these other programs are all well and good to implement sometime down, you know, a ways down the road. But this is the issue that everybody's focused on right now. And I think I, I would hope the federal government and we certain, you know, and the provincial government, that's their major concern now. Getting down the debt is a future project. That's all. There's no other question that that's what that is. It's not a project that you got to undertake right now. It's just not in the mindset of anyone in this in this province or in this country. Well, because as economists have told us, uh, you know, and you've done so many budgets, you understand this too. Uh, that part of that debt is 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 going to be 
be recovered when people start going back to work, and, and that happens. It's not, it's not going to be eradicated that by any stretch of the imagination, and and it's going to take some pretty tough decisions. Uh, and and the, the finance minister of the day, whether it's going to be Christy Friedland at that time or somebody else, uh, is going to be a very unpopular person. I mean, Paul Martin was uh, the bane of everybody's existence, you know, when he was the Kretchen finance minister. But he, but he you know went he got us from from deficit situations to eleven years of surpluses. Uh, it was tough, and a lot of people were peed off at him because of it, but it's something that had to be done. I don't think any government, including this one, wants to have that conversation right now uh, because they're concerned, uh, like you say, for the here and now right now instead of what's going to happen six, eight months from now. A- absolutely. But I'll tell you, that's that's what they're going to be looking at when this is all said and done, when the you know, vaccine comes out and everybody gets on board and we take the vaccine. It's going to take a, a Paul Martin-like approach to it, and it's, it's going to be tough. There's no question about that. Anybody who thinks this is going to be a sweetheart deal after we're, we're done here is, is, is dreaming in technicolor. This is going to be a tough row that we all have to hold after this, is, uh, you know, this COVID is wrestled down. Hey, i got a quick question for you. I've got about a minute and a half yeah. left here. Uh, we're, we're told today that uh, Christy Freeland is going to make an announcement at 3 o'clock today about Canada's response to the aluminum tariffs that uh, the Trump government imposed, uh, which I assume is going to be very similar to the kind of a, a response response rather they did a couple of years ago when Trump did this. Uh, I mean, we're Canada. I mean, we can't throw a haymaker to try to get back at these guys, but we can kick them in the shins pretty hard, and we did last time. What do, what do you anticipate is going to happen? Well, I think it's much the same as this time. We're, they're going to target certain towns, certain states that that will uh, will be hurt by us not getting into the game, the, uh, the trade game on whatever issue it might be. And, it, and we, we, you know, let, let's say you know it's ballpoint pens. You know, if we we don't buy ballpoint pens, uh, somebody's going to hurt. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're specifically targeting areas that that he, uh, you know, he being Mr. Trump, President Trump, needs for this next election. And that's what they're doing. So they're they're playing politics as well, you know, as a kind of a as a, a trade game as well. And that's what it'll be. That's what it'll look like. It won't be much different than it was last time. Well, and it did have some sort of an impact. You're absolutely right. Uh, those those states that do a lot more trade uh, than average uh, with uh, the Canadian economy uh, were seriously impacted. Uh, geez, remember, well, there was a ban on, on, on Jack Daniels sour mash whiskey last time, and apparently they had an impact. You know, there, there were some complaints from what was, you know, where they were making the stuff down in the southern states uh, that, you know, the Canadian sales were, were essentially zero. And, and you're right, it could be strategic like that. And I think that's what they're trying to do here is get a lot of little voices saying, Mr. President, this is wrong. Uh, and, well, we'll see exactly. I guess 3 o'clock today we'll get a, a more clear understanding as to how they're going to do this. It would uh, make sense if he'd listen, so we know he's not, so I don't know. It's, yeah, I, well, it's not Peter Navarro whispering in his ear, and you know, he's, <laughs> uh, who knows what's going to go on as a result of that. Uh, Richard, stay well. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay, Thanks Bill, for this thanks. today. Richard Bye. Brennan, of course, who covered Queen's Park and, uh, and, of course, Parliament Hill for many, many years. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.